We will begin this morning in, in Matthew 26. Maybe stay there for a little while. We, we started off this morning in our, our prayer service. We sang uh, two songs, number 76 and number 75, asking the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with, dwell with us. And then we reflected for a few minutes on that song 75, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. And we talked about the reality that the, the, the Father has sent, as Jesus has returned from the earthly ministry here that He had, the Father has now sent in Jesus' place um, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is uh, the paraclete, the, the strong one who comes alongside of and accompanies, um, dwells with, walks with. The Spirit is even said to dwell within us. Um, that Spirit of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and His ministry to us as the children of God is strength. It is to minister truth to us, to minister the, the, the truths of what Christ has done, is doing, and will do for all of His people. That's the Spirit's ministry. And so we talked about some of those things that we need that are listed out in that song. Lord, we need to love You as we ought to love You. So Spirit Help us right now to do that. Lord, we need, to, we need help for you to check our rising doubts. Lord, we need you to help send the Spirit to govern our rebel size. Lord, we need you to minister to us patience during prayer that is not answered in the way and the time that we would have it to be answered. So we just kind of talked through that, and, and I really didn't mean it. I meant all those things, and, and we prayed through some of those things during our prayer service. And then the song service started, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm thankful for the Spirit of God um, in, in, in more ways we could ever describe. But I'm thankful for the Spirit of God this morning, even when it makes you a bit uncomfortable. So um, just a few songs into the, uh, the, um, the service um, I had just had that, um, but I think only a preacher can, can relate to. Um, it was terrifying, um, horrifying, and yet strangely comforting at the same time when I knew the Spirit was saying, you got to check what you have planned to preach. you got to do something different. And it wasn't immediately clear what the different was. Um, and that's a, that's a terrifying thing. And yet a comforting thing to say, Lord, you're, you're speaking. Keep on speaking, please. Um, and so here, here's, here's sort of how the genesis of all that was. Um, as you walked in the door today, um, I'm always happy to see you. Um, but as you walked in the door today, it, I, I believe I experienced something like what Christ experienced in Matthew 9 when he, when he saw the sheep, the sheep around him, uh, uh, the people that were like sheep. He saw the people, the multitude sort of scattered around this area that he was looking at. And um, he saw them as being sheep without a shepherd. And so he had compassion upon them. So this spirit of compassion came upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he sees this company uh, before his eyes. Now, I didn't see you as sheep without a shepherd. Because I know that you have the great shepherd. The great shepherd of your souls. But I did see you as you came in. I thought, Lord, there are so many needs there's so many needs. Um, and there is um, so many questions and so many complicating things. I saw, I saw Will walk in. Will may have already left by now. I don't know. Did he have to leave? 
Yeah, Will left. He was here for probably about 30 minutes or so. I pray that the Holy Spirit ministered to him through the song service in a powerful way. It was an incredible blessing just to see him come in for a minute. If you don't know Will, Will is, is in the last stages of, of, uh, of cancer, and, and his liver is, 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 is uh, being assaulted. And um, what a blessing it was to see him walk in the door and sit there and hear a few songs. Uh, but I saw him walk in. I saw many others walk in and, uh, and just said, Lord... Um, we're needy people. We, we need something that we don't have. Um, we need a strength that is not ours. So as those thoughts are revolving through my mind, the songs are being called out. Songs like, Frail Children of Dust. And, so we're just frail as being children of dust, right? We're just frail as being humans. But not only that, and feeble as frail. So our frailty has begun to, has begun to manifest itself in feebleness. Right, which we all experience as life goes. That feebleness is not uh, defined there. It could be physical feebleness, or it could be the myriad feebleness that hits us as human beings. Feebleness of heart, feebleness of will, feebleness of, of, of just emotion, emotional strength, feebleness of all kinds of ways. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. Let me just read it so I won't butcher it. This is number eight. You know, the, you know the words well. You probably quote it even as I'm saying it. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. That's who we are. This is a confession. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. And so I knew then what I wanted to say to you. It's very simple. That is, Jesus said, before He gave it the ghost, it is finished. And in that great declaration, it is finished, all of your needs are met. All of your concerns are soothed. All of your feebleness is strengthened. It's all handled by the finished work of Jesus Christ for His redeemed. Amen. And so all I want to do today is just point you to both your feebleness and His strength. And the strength is in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And then it was amazing. The songs just continued in that same theme. Um, how can I, a lowly mortal, an earthling formed of clay, that's pointing to what 2 Corinthians 4 says, we have this treasure, this treasure, the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, we have this finished work of Christ in these earthen vessels. These earthen vessels are, are clay pots. Clay pots that not only weather and age, but clay pots that if they drop, they're brittle, they break. Um, we're warned against putting our treasures in vessels that can't contain the treasure, treasure the vessels that are filled with uh, holes that won't keep the, 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 the living water that's poured in. He says, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. You are the earthen vessel. So how can I, this earthling, this one who's formed of clay, this one who is prone to rebellion, this one who is... Um, given to sin, this one who, is, who, who finds themselves lacking in will and in love and in, 
and, and then looks back to the past and finds nothing but regret and, and, and wrongdoing and guilt and error and looks to the future and goes, how could it possibly be any better in the future if my past has been so checkered and my present is so unstable? What's the hope of the future? And yet in this same song, we find this glorious hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, we sing, uh, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. It's a call to recognize just how poor that we are, just how needy that we are, that we might then plunge ourselves into none but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. You can't do yourself good. There's none other that can do yourself good, but Jesus can. So it's not just to say you can't do this. It is to say that, but it's meant to do that in order to push us towards Jesus Christ. We might run to him the refuge of our souls. We might run to the one who has already entered the veil. We might run to the one who is the surety of the Father's swearing, Hebrews 6, and the Father's promise to bring us home. Christ is the guarantee of that. Christ is the executor of that. Christ is the one who has brought the Father's covenant love to bear upon ourselves that we can abound in hope, hope in life, hope in death, squarely in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to point us this morning to our weakness and to his strength. And I want to do that from a strange text because it is a text that shows Christ's greatest weakness. Now, let's, let's, do, let's, let's look at this with, some, with a great degree of awe. Some texts like this, like Matthew 26, are worthy maybe more of just silent awe and contemplation than they are on heavy analysis because there is much here that we can't go into. If you can, if you can fully describe and understand the hypostatic union, that is the joining of heaven and earth and in the form of Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man, then, um, then you're at a level beyond any other human, right? No human has ever fully understood how Christ could be fully human and fully God. And we see, uh, and, 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 and as God be impeccable and perfect, and as human be weak and hungry and tired, well, we see the greatest demonstration of the weakness of Christ the greatest weakness of Christ, just to see his strength, was not after Christ fasted for 40 days. Okay? That's some weakness. A 40-day fast will produce great weakness. A, a, a two-mill fast for some of us produces great weakness. A 40-day fast, Christ was still able to expertly and it seems like without any sweat, thwart the temptations of Satan. But there's a greater assault that was coming at Christ. There was, a greater, there was a greater burden than he would have to bear infinitely, infinitely beyond the, um, the assault of Satan or the starving of his body for 40 days. It's what John Gill describes as the Father's sword of justice awakened against him. As he begins to experience the terrors of whose, that's the Father's law, 
that were set in array before Him. As the wrath of the Father was unleashed to be poured out against Jesus, this produces a greater weakness. The prospect of this produces a greater weakness than anything that we have seen or experienced or felt. And yet, here's the message. You already know the end. The message is, in His weakness, He was still plenty of strong to bear all of our burdens. Isn't that something? In Christ's moment of the greatest weakness. So we're going to see here displayed both the weakness of man and the weakness of Christ. And yet the strength of Christ for us. So we're going to break into the context here. Christ has ministered the, the, what we call the Last Supper to His disciples. And Judas has left as Christ would predict. And Christ is not ignorant of what he's going to, to experience next. In fact, he warns them of it. He tells them of it. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going, to be, I'm going to suffer by the hands of, of these men. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. And, and then he says this in verse 31 of Matthew 26. They have just gone out to the Mount of Olives. And he says, all of you, all ye, shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am arisen again, I will go before you into Galilee. What a promise that is, isn't it? There's a lot that can be said there, but Christ said, listen, this has been written, this has been prophesied of me. Here's what will happen. When I begin to experience the wrath of God against me, which, by the way, is for your sake, it's in your stead. When I begin to experience what you, what you deserve, you will tuck, tell, and run. I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Not the sheep will, will galvanize, not the sheep will, will stand strong, but the sheep are going to scatter. So what's not surprising here is, is human weakness. Uh, what should not be surprising to you is just how weak you and I are. What's surprising is that Christ would say, and when I rise, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. I will never abandon you. Did you hear that? I'm not going to abandon you at the cross, and I will not abandon you in my victory. That when I stand with a kingdom having been declared, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Christ from the dead, when it is clear that I am the Son of David, I am the everlasting King who will stand in this everlasting kingdom, I will not abandon you. I will not cast you from my presence, but I will bring you into me. Yes, you weak ones. Yes, you who have scattered in my time of greatest need. I will go before you into Galilee. Praise the Lord for that. Well, Peter answers then in verse 33 and says to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. We, would be, we should be cautious to not mock Peter here, knowing that Peter will later be very offended, knowing that Peter will not only once, not twice, but three times, he will, in other words, in a repeated fashion, even after he's time to consider what he's done, 
Are you familiar with that? Are you familiar with sin against God in which you have time to consider what you've done? And you understand that as David said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned and of this iniquity in thy sight. And yet even that is not enough because the love for self and the urge to protect the self and the urge to please the self and the urge to, to worship the self is so strong within us. Listen, friends, I am so grateful for passages like Romans 7. Romans 7 is a passage where Paul says, I don't even know who I am at times. Um, here's what I do know. I do know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And so I would, Paul was going to say, he goes, I would be a wretched man that I am who shall deliver me. I would be beyond hope for deliverance except for one thing, and that is, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Right? So, so there's been plenty of times in your life when you have sinned against God in, in really the, the most extreme of ways where this is not a sin of omission where I saw I should have done that, but I just didn't see it. Not a sin of ignorance, but it's a sin where you go, where, where, where the stakes are raised. You go, I choose, I choose to deny Jesus. I, I choose to gratify myself. This is not a, a big complicated thing. Do you know him or do you not? I don't know him. So we know the end of this story, but, but, but let's be very cautious before we mock Peter, right? Because this is very familiar. And then, friend, to do that on a repeated basis, or where maybe it becomes even a deep habit ingrained in our lives. To where we're denying so often, we don't even, don't even know we're denying anymore. It's just, it's just what we do. We just deny over and over and over and over again. Peter's intention, yes, there was probably some self-dependence here. There was probably, there was no, undoubtedly, there was a, a, a lack of understanding just how weak he was, how frail and what a feeble child of dust that he was. But friends, there is also, in these verses, um, the expression, in this passage, this, this declaration, this expression of great love for God, love for Christ. The reason Peter did not want to be offended, even if everybody believed, he was saying, Lord, I'm with you. This is sort of like the bond slave idea. That if you find that you have a good master, then when your time to be released was, was brought out, that you have the choice, as the Old Testament law, you have the choice to bore a hole through your ear, and that hole through your ear would signify that you have committed yourself to this good master for life. I belong to you. I'm his because his care for me is so good. His provision for me is so abundant. His love for me is so amazing that I want to be with him. I'm pledging myself to him. Friends, Peter had experienced this. Peter had experienced the goodness of God. Peter had experienced the, 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 the wisdom of Christ. So when Peter says, I will not be offended because of you, Peter just saying, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And I think there are many people here today that are just like that. I love the Lord. I don't love this world. I love the Lord. And yet, friend, know this. Know this clearly. Just because you love the Lord doesn't mean that you and your flesh aren't incredibly weak. 
And so Jesus says to Peter, truly, Peter, I say to you, here's the reality, Peter, that, that tonight, this night, not just any night, but this night, this night of my betrayal, when all the hosts of the world, as 1 Corinthians 2 describes, when all the powers of darkness will assemble themselves together to stand against me and to, and to, 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 to forever and finally break the cords of Psalm 2, when all the powers of the world conspire against me, tonight, this is that night. And in this night, you will abandon me. You will be offended because of me. In fact, you will deny me thrice. Peter says to him, though I should die with thee. I think Peter recognizes now, oh, this is going to be a tough night. And we may all die tonight, but if this is my last night, then I, if this is your last night, he's saying, I want this to be my last night. Because I'm with you. I will not deny you. And then notice this, Peter wasn't alone, likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and says to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him, so he had a number of disciples, and he has some that just sit there while he goes farther to go pray, but he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and we'll read the rest in just a minute, but I love this thought. Jesus, Jesus is about to enter this hour of need. And so he takes with him really what were his closest companions on this earth, those who had witnessed the Mount of Transfiguration, those who had been with him in all these intimate companies. He, he takes them with him, and, and we understand that, right? You want somebody to be with you when you're in need. When you're in the hospital and you're, you're dying, uh, it, it's, it's even more awful to be alone, right? You want somebody to be close to you in your time of need. And so Jesus takes these disciples with him. But again, brothers and sisters, Jesus is about to enter a place where no man can help. And they're they're going to fall asleep. That's what's going to happen. They're going to fall asleep. Even as he tells them to watch and to pray, you're going to fall to temptation, so watch and pray, and they fall asleep. And you, you're going to find in life as well, you're going to enter a place where human help, even if well-intentioned, is insufficient. There are plenty of places in life where, there, where no man can go with you. No friend. But I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus, Jesus goes where no man can go. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. So it says here in verse 37, they he takes him with him, and then it says this, and he, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I, I, wish, I wish I could really describe for you uh, what, what these words weigh. These, these are not, not one-pound dumbbell words. But these, are, these are, are big, huge crater words. 
Okay? They really are. Big, or, or not, not, not crater, but big, huge uh, uh, rock words. Right? These are words that, that, you, that you strain against, and you strain against, and you just can't lift them up. This is, this is the weight of these words. Jesus begins to be sorrowful and very heavy, and, it begins to, and, and he tries to help us understand just what this means in other passages. He says, it, it was like this, that Jesus began to sweat. Okay, we've, we're familiar with that. You have this anxious feeling, and you begin to sweat. No, no, it's bigger than that. He begins to sweat great drops of blood. This is the weight we're talking about. This is the Father's sort of justice being awakened against Jesus. These are the terrors of the law. Remember Mount Sinai when you see all this thundering and smoke as the glory of God descends upon this mount and God gives His law. And the law is not evil. The law is good. The law tells us what, 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 what a holy God loves. What a holy God deems to be holy. What a holy God deems to be good for those whom He has made to do and to think and to love. But as Romans 7 says, the law is good, but what happens is, is that when we see what the law does, we die. Sin revives. When you see how holy that God is, see how far removed we are from that holiness, we just, we just crumble, we disintegrate, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, when he saw the holiness of God, holy, holy, holy God. And by the way, I am convinced that the reason why we feel like we're so strong and we don't run to Jesus more is that we're not, we don't see His holiness. As we should. Isaiah says, when he sees this holy, holy, holy God, he just says, woe is me. I am a man undone. The word undone really just means to be disintegrated. So Isaiah says, when I see the holiness of God, it's like I just, you know, you see those, those videos where somebody, or, or, you know, this animation, somebody freezes and, the, and they just get frozen, they just break into a million pieces of dust, right? That's what he's saying there. When I see the holiness of God, it's as if I don't want to say, show anything about myself. I've got nothing to offer. It just destroys me because I'm so sinful. Isaiah says, I call down woe upon myself. Woe is me. You know, the woes of Scripture are powerful things. When God sends a curse, a woe upon a nation, the locusts come upon that nation and eat every green thing there. When God sends a woe upon, uh, upon Jerusalem, every, every stone is unturned. Every person is gone. The gates are burned. And Isaiah says, when I see the holiness of God, I just, I'm like that. I just say, Lord, just curse me. And that's something of what Jesus is beginning to experience. As, as the law is awakened against the servant of God who is bearing, who's going, to, who's going to be bearing the sins of you if you're one of His. If you are in that number of the redeemed, if you today are saying, I have nowhere else to run, but I'm trusting that Jesus was there in Gethsemane. Jesus was sweating great drops of blood. Jesus was very sorrowful. He was very heavy. This was not crocodile tears. This is not a fake thing. He's not just going through an exercise, but Jesus was actually sorrowful. Because there were real sins that were being imputed to Him. Okay? And very heavy, and then it goes on to say, he was so heavy that as he walks, he cannot walk. He falls. This is not just worship here, 
But other places show that he falls, he stumbles, he falls on his face to the ground. He's so weak. He's so weak. And then he says these words that again are almost better left in just contemplation than they are commentary. He says, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He could have prayed again in verse 42, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. Let's just pause there for a moment. I hope you don't read into those words the words of a reluctant Savior. Because He's not. I hope what we're actually getting a glimpse of is of just how heavy a burden the sin debt actually was. He says, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, how could the cup pass from Jesus? Well, if, if you could make it up to the Father, then it could pass from Jesus. If you could live a holy life, if you could be born a holy person, live a holy life, then you could make it up to, make it up to the Father, and Jesus could pass from the cup. And sometimes people think they can actually do that. If I, can just, if, I can just, if I can just change my ways a little bit. Or if I can just keep on doing some good, good work. I'm, I'm a good person. Then, then, then the Father will be pleased that He will receive me to Himself. Some people try to do it by just, by just criticism of others. The Pharisees' prayer is not, a, is not a prayer that's only prayed once. Lord, I thank you I'm not like them. There are millions of ways, and every one of them as equally futile as others. Friend, I want you to see in these words, not just Jesus' weakness, I want you to see our weakness. There is no other way. Now, the only other possibility is the Father say, forget this whole thing. I don't want the redeemed anyway. That's impossible. Because the Father swore an eternal covenant love. By the way, this is why this, 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 it is finishing is so important. The same number of people whom the Father chosen in glory are the same number of people, and that's not, not just a number, the same individuals, the same names, the same people who will live with Him in glory. This is a fixed thing, not fixed as in, um, as in just, just put into a slot and automated turn up, but a fixed as in a fixed love, a fixed purpose, a fixed caring. The Father loves until the Father guarantees or the Father's not the Father. See, the Father swore. The Father promised. He swore and He promised that you might have an abounding hope 
that would anchor your soul, that would cause you to run to Jesus. And if there is anything in jeopardy here, friend, then there is no great anchor for the soul. So it's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible for the cup to pass from Jesus. Yet Jesus is on His face. Jesus is sweating great drops of blood. Jesus is weaker than any man's ever been. And Luke tells us this, I love this, that as Jesus is praying this, after the first prayer, the Father sends an angel from heaven to minister to Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So the Father, even as He's beginning to pour out His wrath upon His Son, the Father, Jesus is needy, the Father stoops to help the need by sending, not by pulling away the, the task, but by sending an angel to minister to Jesus. And then it says, and Jesus being in great agony continued to pray. He didn't, t- didn't take away the burden fully, but He relieved the burden enough. He ministered to Him in the burden enough to where He could keep going. Praise the Lord for that. That's how it is with you sometimes, isn't it? You see, the the strength of Jesus in your life, in your weakness, is not usually to take away your agony. Not right now. He's going to go away for for good. There's a greater purpose happening in you, friend. The greater purpose is that He who has given all for you and paid it all and redeemed you, that He might sanctify you and cleanse you by the washing of water by the Word, that He might sanctify and cleanse you by the trial of fire, that He might sanctify and cleanse you by purging out of us all those things that He paid for on the cross. So much of this life is a trial of fire brought to us by our Redeemer Jesus Christ who bore it all. So, the Father ministers to him. And then the Son, as it says here in verse 42, O oh, my Father, this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it. Thy will be done. What words? Lord, I am more committed, much more committed to this mission than I am to my relative comfort right now. So since this cup may not pass, thou will be done. And the next thing you see Jesus doing is, is he stands up and he comes to his disciples and he goes, rise up. Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. What words? You see, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is so committed to your redemption. Jesus Christ is so committed to being the strength for your weakness. Jesus Christ is so committed to what Paul would experience in 2 Corinthians 12 where it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That even in here, Jesus' weakest moment physically, emotionally, Spiritually, Jesus still stands, knowing what will befall him, knowing what he's already experiencing, and knowing what he will face. And Jesus goes to the cross, and at the in the in in the in the uh, preceding moments before the cross of the great mock trial and the assault, both physical 
and intellectual and emotional, all being assaulted in all kinds of ways. And then, at the, and, then, and then bearing the weight to the sins upon the cross and the physical suffering, Jesus is still ministering to our great weakness. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Honoring, caring for his mother even at the cross. This day, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise, ministering to the thief who had been hurling assaults against him. Oh, we are so weak. And oh, how his strength is made perfect in our weakness through his redemptive work. And then Jesus says those words, it is finished. It is finished. What was finished? His life was finished. His, for, for temporarily. The payment was finished. Praise the Lord, the payment was finished. Fully finished. Paid in full. Paid it all. Colossians says that the handwriting of ordinances. By the way, we, 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 uh, just, we were talking about the knowledge of God Wednesday night. And how the knowledge of God is a real encouragement to prayer. Because an infinite God, um, it, it's, it, it can take millions of requests as if one person was speaking to him because he has, has an infinite mind. It can go infinite directions. And all is present before him. And that's comforting, isn't it? So God hears your prayers personally, focused, while He's also hearing the prayers of all the rest of the saints across the globe. Praise the Lord. That's comforting, but it's also terrifying in some ways. Because a God that, that all is present before Him, He's not like you and me, who just quickly forget those things that are inconvenient to us. God's not like that. It's all fully present. As, we, as the Latin phrase says, we live quorum Deo, right? Deo, before the face of God. So we are always fully before the face of God. So God who doesn't forget and who also uh, perfectly administers justice, it's all before Him all the time. And Jesus says, it is finished. Which means that all those things that are never forgotten, that are always present, Colossians says it this way, Jesus has blotted out the handwriting. That's all those present things. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us and has carried it away. Nailing it. Where's it at? Nailing it to His cross. So the cross says, when Jesus says, it is finished, He is saying, there's no more handwriting that shows. No more. It's gone. It's forever gone. It's finished. It's finished. So, frail children of dust, and feeble as frail, turn your eyes, turn your hearts, lay your burdens, run to the one who finished it all and then rose 
on the third day. He rose to life. He rose to His life as King over all, but He also rose to give you life. So that as Colossians Colossians 3 says, our life, when Christ who is our life shall appear, the one appear in the glory, for, for our life is hidden with Christ in God. He rose that you may live. So that yes, you walk in here with burdens. Yes, you walk in here with needs. But I'm telling you, your life and your living and your strength will always be found and it will always be sufficient in Jesus Christ. So that, like Corinthians 4 says, we faint not. That even though we're cast down, even though we're distressed, even though we're buried about in our body the dying Lord Jesus, even though we're suffering, we don't faint. Because again, Jesus paid it all and rose from the grave to give us life, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and our strength in this life is bound up in Him. His life in us. So Christ in you the hope of glory. I don't know who all needed to hear that this morning, but that's the message. It's finished, and life is bound up with Christ in God so that you will keep living. Or, or you will keep walking in your own strength and finding the way dark and stormy and impossible to tread. You're weak. Accept it and lean upon the one who's strong. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the unspeakable gift, who is your gift to us. He's not just running a mission alone, but he is your gift. He's the gift of the Godhead to us for our life, for our strength. And so, Father, I pray I pray for this congregation of this people who have walked in the door with these burdens that they may um, cast them upon the Lord Jesus Christ and they may walk in the strength that is found in His life in us. And may we, Father, find ourselves at the end of our lives resting and trusting upon the One who has ripped open the veil that stands between a holy God and sinful man, and has entered therein, and is even at your right hand, and as Stephen experienced, stands to welcome all those found in him. May we find that victory in Jesus is our prayer. In his name we pray and say, Amen.